everyone, and welcome to Aval Cafe. My name is Brian Hosler. I'm the founder of Stormroots Consulting based in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Carolyn Kamen. Hi, everyone. I'm also an independent evaluation consultant working out of Vancouver, BC. This podcast is an informal chat on evaluation topics, the kind you might overhear at your favorite coffee shop if your favorite coffee shop were frequented by evaluators. This podcast is for everyone. If you're an expert or a novice, long-time practitioner, or just starting the field, or even if you don't identify as an evaluator, as long as you have an interest in evaluation, this podcast is for you. This week, our topic is evaluator stress and self-care. And we're going to be asking the questions, what stresses us out as evaluators and how do we deal with that? So if you remember last week, we kind of talked about fears and stressors for program participants and clients who are participating in the evaluation, uh, those fears they might face in the evaluation context. This time, we're shining the flashlight on ourselves, asking, what are those things that make us go bump in the night? And how do we kind of, you know, bring the heart rate down to normal level and just keep doing our work? So, Carolyn, what's some of the stressors that you face in your work? I think um, there's, well, there's a lot. I mean, evaluation can be, it's fun work. I wouldn't do evaluation if it weren't fun. Um, But it is a stressful job. It's um, a high stakes job a lot of the time um, because you're, sometimes you feel like you're working with like the life and death of a program or that people's jobs or, or project funding is in your hands. It can feel like a lot of pressure. You're also working with a lot of different people. Um, whether you're working internally or externally as an evaluator, your job is going to bring you in contact with many different personalities. You have to be as good at working with people as you are at working with data. And that's a pretty broad skill set. Um, I think, gosh, I mean, in terms of stuff that brings me stress, I think one of my sort of nightmare scenarios is always just, you know, you get to the end of a project and you have this, you know, this uh, set of data and these recommendations that you've worked really hard on, you think makes sense. You've hopefully actually talked to to the stakeholders about it and and gotten everyone on board and made sure that there's buy-in and done all your, your work there. But this idea that you might still submit something and someone's going to turn around and say, oh, no, we can't use this, or this doesn't help, or, you know, this was a waste of time. Anything like that freaks me out. <laughs> that That's one of the things that makes me feel really stressed out. Yeah, I feel that uh, managing expectations, we've talked about that before in other episodes, but uh, no matter how much work we put into it, that still can be a stressor that we somehow missed, missed the eight ball on that. Um, I think working with people, like you said, that's just a huge stressor as well. We all have our our little quirks and all that and sometimes uh, a minor communication thing can blow up and become a, a huge problem. Um, going back to one thing you're saying though about we have to have this broad skill set working with people working with data and I know Kylie Hutchinson has talked about how our like our tool belt has become so much grown so big and all that that we need to uh, be experts in data and data visualization and uh, facilitation and talking to people and program design and everything else. Uh, for me, I feel like that can sometimes become a bit of a load. Like I need to be, if not an expert, at least knowledgeable, at least somewhat practice in all these different areas. And maybe it hits more because I'm like you, I'm a sole uh, consultant. Um, so it's always that pressure to feel like I need to be, you know, I need to be everything to everybody. And that's a ridiculous fear. That's a ridiculous expectation to put on one person. But uh, you sometimes feel that. I don't know. Do you ever have that that feeling? I actually think you really uh, hit it there when you said that's a lot of expectation to put on one person. Mm -hmm. A lot of evaluators work alone. 
again, whether internal or external, a lot of the times as evaluators, we are a one man show. Um, I know that's not always true. There are, you know, there are some uh, larger firms and there's also lots of lots of collaboration among evaluators. But I think probably most of the evaluators I know and a lot of my experience has been even when I'm working within a larger group of people, I'm usually working on one project alone or if I'm within an organization, I'm like, I'm, I'm the guy when it comes to evaluation. And that, I think that's where a lot of the pressure comes from is having to do a lot of that work um, solo. And I think my number one, like well, it, to, to turn this towards self-care and like, okay, what do we do to actually manage this stress? Like my number one thing that I do is remind myself that I'm not alone, that mm-hmm. I have um, peers and colleagues and, and mentors that I can reach out to um, for guidance, support, venting a little bit. Um, I think, I mean, Brian, you know, you're one of my go-to's of, you know, when I'm stuck in a problem or something like that, you're one of the first people that I call to be like, Brian, what do I do? Tell me, help. (laughs) And likewise, yeah, uh, you've been a great resource as well to sometimes just bounce ideas or fears or frustrations or anxieties about things for sure. And I think uh, you kind of talked about it a little bit, but I think even if you're an internal evaluator, you're working within an organization, uh, maybe it's a large organization like a health region or an education system or government, you might be the only evaluator in your unit. You may not have anyone else understand the work that you do. Um, And I think it ties back into our previous episode around stakeholder fear, around program participant fear. If people are fearing us to some degree, uh, you know, that's kind of, it's not a nice place for us to be in where we feel like, you know, people are a little edgy around us. They're a little concerned about what they say. Again, certainly not all circumstances. I have some really good connections with clients and participants, but sometimes there is a case where they're looking a little kind of sideways at you and worry, watching their words or they think you're going to be the person who's bringing up the bad news or pointing out like, well, those numbers are good, but they could be better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, what do you do? How do you, as an evaluator, manage the, the stress Yeah, um, well, one example actually came from an American Evaluation Association conference that we were both at in Denver in 2014, and there was one, I can't remember who ran it, so I'll try to look that up for the show notes, but there was a workshop on mindfulness, and mindfulness is a practice for evaluators, and they pointed out there's actually kind of two purposes for using mindfulness as an evaluator. One was to make sure that we don't just kind of uh, go through the motions, like say if we're interviewing somebody, uh, we're not just, you know, half tuned out to what they're saying. We're already maybe trying to put their results into our, like what they're saying into our evaluation framework. We're actually fully engaged and we're fully paying attention to what they're saying. But the other half of that mindfulness is to be able to step back mentally and say, okay, there's maybe some stressful things here. I think maybe one issue that evaluators face, um, definitely not to the extent of like, a of counselors or, or first responders, but I think we do face a little bit of vicarious trauma potentially, where we're hearing maybe stories about people who are not in good places. We're hearing stories about trauma. Um, if we're working with maybe a, an organization that works with homeless people that we hear about some of the negative experiences that have happened. So I think, you know, we have to be able to, you know, acknowledge whatever feelings or frustrations we might have, be able to step outside of that as well. Definitely, I'm not no, I'm not an expert in uh, 
in mindfulness practice, but uh, there's certainly a lot of resources out there to practice that to say, okay, I'm taking in this information, but I'm not letting it take me down a dark path and get stressed out about it. Yeah. Wow. That's a really good point that you made about um, the, the vicarious trauma potentially. I mean, that's not necessarily something that you think would assert like, oh, evaluation, it seems such a dry thing, but actually, yeah, depending on the type of project you're working on, you, you may be hearing and seeing a lot of data. I know, I know that I have heard um, information, whether it was an interview I conducted myself or whether it was data that I was reading that someone else had, had collected that can cover some pretty um, disturbing experiences. And there's a certain sense of helplessness of like, wow, I'm just an evaluator. What can I do? Like, I feel this sense of responsibility of like, oh gosh, there's gotta be something I can do to try to, you know, to help people with this. I think even if we aren't of the helping profession directly as evaluators, we're we're more the support, the research, the data. But I mean, I think there's a, an element of helping profession in us. I think a lot of us, we, we do evaluation because we care about these types of programs and projects mm-hmm. as well that we work on. So, um, yeah, I hadn't thought about that and, and, and that being another source of stress, but I think you're, you're right. I've actually, I have encountered that of like, Oh gosh, wow. I feel so small next to this really big problem that's affecting so many people so profoundly. Um, so that's neat. And I like the idea of mindfulness as a way of, addressing that and and um that sounds like a really good practice maybe there i hope there'll be more workshops on things like that i think if i see that again i didn't go to that one at denver but if i see something like that again i'll probably take that uh, and go to that speaking of things that we've learned at conferences i have gone to although i didn't go to that um workshop i've uh, at evaluation conferences i have seen um some really neat sessions that were aimed at um, helping support evaluators there are two that come to mind um, one was at the CESBCY, um, our regional conference here in 2015, a couple of years ago. And that one was called uh, The Doctor is In Evaluation Therapy for All. And that mm-hmm. one was led by Kylie Hutchinson, Marla Steinberg, and Diana Tyndall. It was great. They used a forum theater technique, um, which is that you put on sort of like a scene or a skit. And then you have, it's an audience participate patient method. So they would, they had these scenarios they did of, of, common difficult evaluation experiences so maybe trying to give um findings to a stakeholder who's like oh can you just um what if you just changed that so it, it said the other thing because that would be better our funders would really like that um and then as an audience member which this was actually very stressful but as an audience member you could you could stop the scene and mm-hmm switch out with one of the people in it whether you know you could switch out with the person who's playing the evaluator in that scenario and act out the way you think they should respond and you can fix the scenario. It's actually, it was actually very, it took a while for the room to warm up enough to actually dive in and do that. Forum theater is very, very challenging to participate in, but it was also really great and really cathartic. And there was, um, the reason this was called evaluation therapy for all was it wasn't evaluation as therapy. It was therapy for evaluators. It was letting us as evaluators rework and reenact and re-experience some of these negative stressful experiences we might have had and fix them and make them go better and do so as a group coming together. Right. Um, and the same group of people were also involved in a similar type of, um, let's see if I can find this one, a leading edge panel at the CES 2017, the most recent national conference that we also had here in Vancouver. 
Um, and that one is called Evaluation Bloopers, Missteps, and F-Ups, Reflecting on Our Mistakes and Challenges. And that involved Marla Steinberg, Kylie Hutchinson, Judith uh, Kranjak, Piney Cooper, Melissa McGuire, Marina Nixon, Diana Tyndall. And I think there might have been someone else who showed up partway through, um, whose name isn't here. And that was another really great session. This was a group of experienced evaluators coming together publicly to talk about times that they screwed up mm. and made mistakes and they shared a lot of like you know really vulnerable stories it's very hard as an evaluator a lot rides on your credibility a lot rides on people believing that you know exactly what to do the right thing to do in every scenario and that you're going to do it and that you're infallible to some extent um that's that's the feeling you get as an evaluator i find so to have people be able to st you know, step up and say, actually, I'm a human being. I make mistakes. Here's a time that I really messed up. And, mm -hmm. and they shared a lot. I learned so much from watching that session. And some of the types of things that I learned were uh, learning when to say no, that it's okay sometimes to be like, no, I can't do that. No, that's not going to work. No, that timeline is too short. No, that budget is too small. No, I don't want to necessarily work with you again. That wasn't a great client experience. Wouldn't necessarily be that explicit, but like that it's okay to say no and to have boundaries. And then also sometimes to ask for help. Like, oh, we thought this timeline was going to work. We thought that this approach would work, but you know what? It isn't. We need mm -hmm. to try something else and I need to admit. And, you know, the sooner you do that, the better, as opposed to letting yourself get really entrenched in something that's not working. So I, I loved the experience of watching people I look up to in the profession say, yep, sometimes I make mistakes. Uh, that was very relaxing for me. And then I also learned so much from them as well that I think will hopefully make evaluation no more stressful than it needs to be as a career. Definitely, yep. And I think for sure that whole idea of having failure parties, you see it in business and entrepreneurship all the time. Uh, other fields are kind of taking up that idea too. And I think actually AEA did that as well a couple of years ago in Chicago. And it was a panel put together by none other than Michael Quinn Patton. So, and he was there in a jester hat. And yes, mentioned, we have put the MQP mention in for this episode. Uh, we fulfilled our contractual obligations. Um, but yeah, he had a jester hat and everything. He had a panel of people, um, notable folks in the field as well saying how did they screw up in an evaluation project or in some kind of circumstance but I think both that example and the theater example uh, really awesome and I think they both kind of show at the core is us having a, a community of practitioners a community of evaluators saying you know let's not all suffer in silence and let's not pretend that we're all perfect to each other and realizing that all of us have the same fears behind the mask. I think that's part of it. We need to have that space where we can take the mask off and say, hey, we're dealing with these, some of these issues. Let's learn from each other. Let's see how we can make things better. Yeah. I've got a question for you. Or Here's, here's a scenario. So you've, had, um, you've just wrapped up uh, an evaluation project. It was a, a pretty big one. You put a lot of work and time into it. Um, mm -hmm. It went badly. So, you know, hey, through things that were... Um, you know, stuff didn't work out the way that was planned. You had, you know, uh, there were issues around um, getting things done on time. You weren't, there were, there were all kinds of logistical challenges. The relationship with the client maybe broke down a little bit. You, you did your best and it just, it's still, you walked away from it feeling like that, that wasn't 
my peak experience. I, I can, you know, that was not the top of my game. Um, right. And maybe it was something that you feel you could fix in and or, or do differently next time. Or maybe it was sort of like, wow, that was totally out of my control. Things just happen sometimes. What do you do to recover from that? Yeah, um, I've certainly had things, maybe not to an extreme scenario, but sometimes I have felt like, okay, that didn't go, that that didn't turn out as planned. Um, yeah, I think part of it is trying to step back and get a bit of perspective. Um, yeah, just like you said, sometimes it's just like, could I have done things better? Yes. Did some things just not work out because, you know, the timeline wasn't right or um, that one key participant wasn't available to reach. So part of it's trying to recognize that, well, there is some responsibility for me. There's also, you know, stuff happens sometimes. But yeah, I mean, I think it's, um, I'm still trying to figure out the answer to that question was to what to do. Uh, one idea I just came up with is um, one evaluation tool that has been used um, in different settings is an after action review um, where you get people together to say, okay, exactly what happened, um, you know, what worked well, what didn't work well, and what would we change if we did this again? Um, if you're a team of one, obviously you can't bring your team together, but maybe it's just uh, finding other teams of ones um, just to connect with and say like, hey, I just wrapped up this evaluation. I want to have someone to talk to just to say, here's what happened. Um, obviously they weren't involved in the evaluation, so they can't share their perspective, but maybe they can ask questions or help put things in perspective. And I think that's often what you need is this perspective you know, take, take the perspective a different way, realizing it's not all on, all on you. That and just, you know, do something fun. Just your whole life can be evaluation. I know I, I'm the one saying that, but yeah. I mean, eval evaluation is, it's pretty fun. It is pretty fun, <laughs> but I think you're right. Being well-rounded people who have lives and, and hobbies and interests outside of um, just evaluation itself. Mm -hmm. Um Gosh, I think one of the things that I do um, if I'm feeling a little bit bogged down, because sometimes I'm stressed and it's not even just, it's not that things are going badly, it's just that there's so much, mm. so much happening. Um, it can be, I mean, you don't get control over, over a lot of your deadlines as an evaluator. You you can sort of say, okay, I can fit this in here, or we or this is this will work for me, but often it's, People are coming to you saying like, well, we need to know by this day. And sometimes that day is two weeks from then. Sometimes that day is yesterday. Right. Um, and that's, that's the job. That's, that's how it works. Um, so sometimes the stress is really just, oof, this is a lot. And I know that's when it becomes important to, for me to like, first of all, plan my time really well and, mm -hmm. and, and sit down and, and think like, okay, what actually is going to happen when spend that time rather than just rushing forward, spend a little bit of time planning, yep. expecting that that plan will also change a lot, but at least I've got something to start with. Mm -hmm. um, and then also I sometimes identifying places where I need to say no or say, okay, we have to scale that back or you know what, this, this needs to get pushed or many, many times our podcast uh, recording sessions have gotten pushed because one or both of us have just been too busy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's okay. That's fine. Yep. We'll always come back to it, but, but doing things like our podcast, like making sure that I'm still fitting in, mm -hmm. in and amongst all that work, I'm fitting in stuff that brings me 
just a nice sense of satisfaction and accomplishment. I think things like the podcast, even though it's still evaluation related, things like the podcast or, or, I mean, I guess is this, this is sort of more the bubble bath version of self care of like, just relax a little, (laughs) just take some time to do something else. And I think that's important to not letting your brain get so tied up in knots that you can't even see what's right in front of you. And sometimes taking a break is a good way to understand the problem better. Exactly. Yep. And I think uh, going back to what you're saying about just, you know, time management and all that, I think that could be a great episode uh, for a future, great topic for a future episode. Um, But sometimes, yeah, it is just as simple as saying, okay, this week, Wednesday, I have nothing scheduled for Wednesday. Let's keep it that way. Unless there's something immediately urgent or anything like that, let's not put any meetings. I mean, I'm a hardcore introvert, so I know I've learned the hard way. Uh, that sometimes I just need to block out time like that to say, you know, like, let's get all of our meetings on Monday or Tuesday and then have Wednesday as a day where I could be just not see anybody and not interact with anybody, uh, which makes me sound awfully antisocial, but really it's just introversion, just need time to recharge. So I, I uh, don't judge. I am also an introvert. I think I did a little, uh, oh, I'm not even sure where the results are. I did a, a survey on Twitter, extremely unscientific. I think only 12 people responded because I'm not that Twitter famous yet. Um, but I did see there was a, there was a, an interesting mix of a lot of introverts and a lot of people who were both introverted and extroverted. Very few just pure extroverts among that extremely unscientific, very tiny, yeah. super unreliable, don't actually take any of this seriously sample. But uh, as a fellow introvert, I definitely understand that sometimes it just needs to be me and, a, and an Excel spreadsheet and no meetings. Exactly, yeah. So I think maybe the the take-home message for anybody, whether introvert, extrovert, whatever kind of situation you live, you're working in, is just understand kind of what's fulfilling for you, what's draining for you. And then um, obviously we can't, um, no one can schedule everything out perfectly. Like you said, you can create a plan and then usually the first plan is just the thing that gets, you know, knocked off the truck and then you get on with the real plan or get on to plan B and then C and D and E and so on through the alphabet. But, you know, try to figure out times, I guess it's being flexible, but then also knowing what you need to hold on to, like what's important to try to protect as much as possible and where do you have room to be flexible. And like for sure, if an important client calls me up and says the only time they're available to meet is Wednesday, okay, I'll make Wednesday work. But maybe then I'll say, okay, Thursday afternoon is looking free. Let's keep that one free then. So, or maybe if just if I have a couple of hectic weeks, it's all right to take some some further time off, um, not work on the weekends. I know that's kind of a, a sacrilege for independent consultants, but you know, take some time off. It's, uh, I mean, some of these issues definitely are more for independent consultants or self-employed folks who, um, you know, you can set your own schedule. The downside is that means you can be working at any time, but I think it's true for any, even if you're working a nine to five job is try to figure out, you know, what's good for you and what takes energy to put in and how do you work around that? Yeah. And I think you make a good point that some of this advice is is maybe a little more specific to external and and consultant operating evaluators. So I will throw something in there for because some of the work I do is more of an internal capacity. Um, Mm -hmm. So for internal evaluators, the big thing I would say is um, put some time in your day where you're just going to be connecting with the people in your organization, not as an evaluator. Make sure that you're getting to know the people you work with as as colleagues, as genuine work colleagues, people that you know and you work with, 
um, and, and not always have that evaluator hat on or even just tucked in your back pocket. And I know it's hard to turn that off sometimes. So just make sure that you are part of that organization um, because that's, you don't want to feel lonely in a crowd of people. That can be really, really tough. Definitely. And yeah, my experience working as an internal evaluator, I try to like connect one-on-one with my team members, just like go to a local, like the nearby coffee shop or something. And so I can say, okay, this is the evaluation conversation. This is the team member conversation. So really making a delineation like that. So that's a great idea. Maybe even bring a literal evaluator hat. This is the hat I'm wearing now. Therefore, I'm an evaluator. The hat's off. (laughs) I'm no longer speaking as an evaluator. I actually, and I should, I'll put a picture of this up and maybe I'll tweet it. I actually have an evaluation hat that I made uh, as part of a staff retreat a, a couple of weeks ago. And it's a great hat. I'm going to put, but I do, I have, I have an evaluator hat and, and uh, I should start wearing it every time I do evaluation stuff so that everyone knows, ah, ah, now Carolyn is the evaluator and then I can take it off the rest of the time. I am incredibly curious as to what this evaluator hat looks like. It's great. I, and it involved a lot of hot glue. <laughs> I'm picturing a big E in streamers, potentially. I don't know. <laughs> I think I think for uh, the next conference, I, go, I want to pitch a session that is going to be a craft session where everyone gets to come in and make their evaluator hat and make a hat that represents... I think that would be a great stress relief self-care thing. Let's do more crafting. We work yeah. with our heads so much. We need to keep working with our hands, too. We need to make stuff. Mm-hmm. So that I think that's I think that is my final takeaway on this topic is uh, we should have some more evaluate crafting. Evaluate crafting, definitely. <laughs> I think uh, yeah, that, and I think uh, let's just get out of our let's get out of our heads, let's get out of our offices, let's make sure we connect with each other. But yeah, let's just uh, we shouldn't be hunching over the computer all day. Let's there's a big world out there. Let's uh, go out and have some fun with it too. Yeah, save the two introverts. Uh, yeah, well, we, we can do it individually. I mean, I mean <laughs> or do that connecting and then go back to our little, you know, uh, cubby offices and find a good book to read or something. Sounds good. Okay, that's it for this episode of Eval Cafe. Thank you to all our listeners. Please check out the rest of our episodes on SoundCloud, uh, iTunes, or Google Play, or by going through our website, evalcafe.wordpress.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Eval Cafe. And if you want to drop us a line, you can find us at evalcafe.podcast.gmail.com. Musical credits go to Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com for Poppers and Prosecco, our intro theme, and Dispersion Relation, our outro, as well as to Tim at tabletopaudio.com for the lively cafe ambiance in our intro.